Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hey kids, uh, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of Just a Game. So glad you could spend some time with us. There are things to be debated, there are things to be discussed, but before we do that, how the hell are you? Good to see you. Thanks for being here. I'm Rob, you're you. Uh, it is Just a Game. We are live in the Oodle Noodle studios. Uh, coming up today, rather heavily, uh, I would say, weighted towards the uh, heroes of hockey in this city, uh, former Flames coach and currently uh, applying his trade over in Switzerland, although he's back. Uh, friend of the program, Rob Cookson. Cookie's going to join us. Um, we will uh, take him back in time a little bit uh, as uh, today's rather significant day in Flames history, which brings us to our first guest coming up in a little while. The great, the, the unbelievable, the legend, the man, the myth, uh, Peter Mark will be joining us. Uh, lots to talk about with Pete. Uh, lots to talk about with Rob. Obviously, uh, the Flames search for a new coach is top of that. But I suppose topping that is the search for the general manager. The election is underway. The building is a hot topic. Uh, it continues to be uh, debated widely out there. It is a, a part of this election cycle, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. The arena is uh, something to talk about. And, and let's let's lay it all on the line. The playoffs have been very, very interesting. Um, continued in the round number two last night. Uh, a pair of games. Uh, we'll start with uh, Florida and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And again, hey, how about those plucky Panthers? Ah, that's all right. The you know Maple Leafs will take them out in three. Well, not to be uh, not, not not listening to the script, I guess. Where the Panthers, who played just two nights before in Boston, Matthew Kachuk. Uh, with another strong, fine performance, three assists, got under the skin of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, just a game in which, yeah, they outshot the Maple Leafs. Does this sound familiar if you're a Flames fan? But they outshot or they outshot the uh, Panthers, I should say. The Maple Leafs outshot the Panthers. Does this sound familiar as a Flames fan? Because they were chasing. Uh, the Panthers kept kept the lead, got the lead, stayed with the lead, kept, you know, the, the Maple Leafs tried to come back in Florida just continued their game plan uh, from uh, their series against Boston, and it, it serves them well. It serves them well. They're up one game to none, that's all. I mean, it's a lot of hockey left to be played. Uh, the other series that started last night also featured a road team that had played just two nights before, and it was the Kraken winning in overtime 5-4. What a bizarre game. I, I don't 
know how sexy viewing this is for people. If you're a diehard hockey fan, you're going to turn it on. If you're, you know, uh, kind of casual, I'm not sure you would have gone and found this game. Three goals in 52 seconds for Seattle in the first period. Jake Ottinger looked uh, average at best. Uh, but then, you know, cue the stars. They scored twice in the third period, tie it up. Uh, and then Joe Pavelski has all of those goals. So not he, not he had assists on all those goals. He had all those goals. 38-year-old Joe Pavelski uh, with four goals becomes the oldest player in NHL history by almost two years to achieve that feat. Uh, but in the end, it was um, it was uh, Gordy, uh, former formerly of the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of the Yanni Gordy, who everybody likes, the depth players that that Julian Brisebois and the uh, Lightning seem to create, like Blake Coleman. These players go out to other franchises and seemingly have success. And Yanni Gordy providing Seattle with a victory last night on the road against the uh, Dallas Stars. Two games tonight. Uh, the one game that I'm sure we'll talk about but not necessarily paying as close attention to is uh, Jersey and Carolina. Um, you look at their season series, pretty tight. Uh, in a lot of ways, these are similar teams, good young offensive players, solid goaltending. Um, well, you know, Schmid has been a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a story coming out of nowhere to the American hot. Well, he played 20 games in the NHL, but coming from the American hockey league and, and playing that series for the devils. But uh, you know, Carolina's got two goalies and Carolina just quietly goes about their business. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be an exciting series, uh, but I would suspect it might be a long series. And then the one that uh, most of Canada will be paying attention to, because it is including a Canadian team, one from this province, it is Vegas and Edmonton. An interesting note from uh, Jason Greger up in Edmonton, I believe was on Daily Faceoff today. The Oilers have lost six game ones in a row. Vegas has lost five game ones in a row. Nobody will win this game tonight. They're just, they're going to keep playing it in perpetuity. That's how it's going to work. All right, um, a little later on in the program, Rob Cookson will join us. Um, I, I do have to get to one of the big stories of the day later on, and that has to do with the NHL being absolutely given a gift, an absolute gift on a silver platter. Um, but before we get to that, that's later on in the program. You, you, you'll stick around for the podcast. Uh, let's do this right now, courtesy of our friends at Ski Cellar Snowboard. 76 years in Canada. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? 76 years. Three locations right now that are open. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, Bow Ridge Road Northwest. And if you're like me and you like a good deal, now is a good time to get a deal. Sure, it's 26 degrees outside. And maybe the last thing on earth you're thinking about is warm clothing. But there's some good deals on warm clothing. And I will guarantee you, at some point, we will need that warm clothing. Always a pleasure to join uh, our favorite guy. He is the legendary voice of the Calgary Flames. And I found out for the first time, I did not know this, but also noted boxing announcer, Peter Marr. Peter Marr joining (laughs) us this afternoon. How are you, sir? Pretty good, Rob. Pretty good. Not um, ready for a boxing match, though. <laughs> no, no, no. This this shouldn't be too much of a fight, Pete. I, I think this one will go pretty smoothly. Um, having having said that, you and I were having coffee on Sunday, and like we do every once in a while, we're just kind of chewing the fat. 
and I thought I knew the Peter Marr biography, but you had left out one little piece for me. Can you just, for the benefit of our audience, talk about, uh, well, talk about your experience calling a professional boxing match? Well, Rob, that was back in 1979. At that time, I was doing the radio play-by-play broadcast for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, the radio station, which is now defunct, the CKO Radio Network, they purchased the broadcast rights for the welterweight uh, heavyweight uh, welterweight championship uh, match featuring Clyde Gray, the Canadian, mm-hmm. and uh, Thomas Hearns, the uh, Detroit boxer that went on to have uh, a great great career. Yep. And so this boat was uh, this boat was um, in Detroit, and so the radio station uh, manager came to me and he said, uh, uh, "We've got the rights to this fight." Um, we don't have a broadcaster for it. Uh, would you be interested in doing it? I said, well, I've never, uh, the only fights I've ever called were hockey fights, which is a little bit different than boxing matches, but, uh, if you'd like, I can give it a try. So sure enough, uh, went over to uh, Detroit, uh, where the fight was being uh, staged at the old Olympia. I had broadcast hockey games from there. And, uh, actually the broadcast booth in the old Olympia for hockey, uh, was probably the best broadcast booth that I ever called a game called games from. It was a great, great location and uh, and it provided lots of fan noise and, and all that type of thing. So anyway, I wasn't in that broadcast booth for this uh, match, but I was at ringside, right at ringside. I walk in there and I'm surrounded by all these boxing people, all these boxing greats that you heard tell of, some I hadn't heard tell of. And uh, anyway, I'm there for the preliminaries and I'm doing a little bit of play-by-play and their fight punch-by-punch play-by-play in my head as I watch some of these uh, preliminary matches. And then, of course, it comes to the main event. And so I called the fight, and it lasted seven rounds before Hearn scored a knockout victory over uh, Clyde Gray. So um, that was my uh, boxing announcing experience. And uh, it was a real neat experience to do that. But uh, uh, I don't know how good I did. Uh, The hardest part, I thought, was the – was between rounds when you had a minute there and I didn't have a color commentator. I was had to fill in the time myself. So my lack of knowledge of boxing may have been uh, explored at that particular point, but the, uh, you know, punch by punch, I was able to do that pretty good. Yeah. You know, I was about to say that Pete, that, you know, some things never change typical radio. They send you there with, it's not like you had Jim Lampley or Jim Gray or somebody to help you out or George (laughs) Chevallo. They send you there by yourself, one man to do the fight. So some things never change, Pete. That's true. That's very true, Rob. So anyway, it was a good experience. So yeah. And again, I had no idea. So hockey, obviously you've done men's and women's, you've done Olympics, you've done world championships, you've done your son's game, you've done football, you've done boxing. What else, What am I missing, Pete? On that uh, well, I did softball. Okay, back softball. in my hometown in New Brunswick, right, Campbell, New Brunswick. I actually it wasn't on radio. It was um, as in the broadcast, uh, uh, the PA announcer for the uh, the local softball tournament there. So, and they kind of like me doing a little bit of play by play, where so and so hits the ball, and so and so runs out, catches it, or the ball goes over the uh, over the fence for a home run. So I made it more like a play by play. So. I but I never did do a uh, never did do a baseball game. But no. softball, I did quite a few of those in uh, that position. Hmm. Hmm. And I was I started doing that when I was 16 years old. So it's like 20 years I ago. Started so. young. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we're burying the lead. Um, it seems like 
you know, we, we need to maybe do these uh, visits a little more frequently, Pete, because uh, when last we spoke, um, a little bit of news has dropped around the local hockey heroes, uh, including uh, a new arena in principle and now looking for a new coach. Um, let's maybe stay current. Your initial reaction to the news on Monday, Don Maloney announcing that Daryl Sutter will not be coming back. Well, I guess in, in, in some ways I wasn't surprised, uh, given some of the word that you were hearing around about that uh, things were not uh, being uh, not being liked so much, the coach not being liked so much by uh, the players on the team. But uh, still at that point, I thought maybe uh, since Daryl uh, had a two years remaining on his uh, contract after getting the extension last year, I thought that maybe the ownership of the uh, Flames uh, headed by Murray Edwards, might uh, say, no, we want Daryl staying in as coach of the team. But I guess after an analysis of uh, interviews with players and uh, agents, apparently, and trainers and uh, management and ownership, they decided that uh, it was um, it was uh, best to uh, part with Daryl, even though he does have two years left in his contract and will have to be paid uh, somewhere in the vicinity of between 8 and $9 million U.S. Uh, for his not to work. Uh, as coach of the uh, of the flame so it, it was disappointing for me in some ways is that I thought I, I still think Daryl's an extremely good coach and uh, Don Maloney who's now the interim general manager and, and president of hockey operations basically said that in his uh, comments uh, that came up last uh, Monday uh, but he is a demanding coach there's absolutely no doubt about that I've been around I was around him for seven years mm-hmm. when he was uh, First, the first time he was here as coach of the Flames, and then coach and general manager, and then general manager uh, by additioning, uh, 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 taking the coaching situation out of his own hands and handing them over to Jim Playfair, and then it went on to uh, Mike Keenan and others. And speaking of Mike Keenan, uh, interestingly, uh, if I can d- direct another uh, point here, yep. uh, Jerome McGinley was here in Calgary. Uh, on the weekend and he was involved in some promotional and charity events and somebody in the media asked him who the best coaches were that he had in his career and he said Daryl Sutter and Mike Keenan yeah uh, uh, mentioning uh, uh, Daryl didn't surprise me a little bit surprised that he uh, mentioned Mike Keenan Mike Keenan incidentally is over in Italy right now and he's uh, preparing coaches there as Italy is hosting the uh, Olympics in a couple of years and uh, they're going to have a they're going to have a team in Group A. So Mike is over there, help, help uh, lecturing coaches and players, and me. he might be coaching that Italian team in the Olympics next I, time around. I now saw, that's off track. Yeah, no, no, it's not <laughs> off track because I, I saw the same thing, and I had to take a double take. I, you know, I, knowing what I think I know about. Jerome, Jerome liked to be challenged and Jerome had no problems, but Jerome also wanted the puck and he wanted to play. And both of those coaches allowed Jerome to play. I always felt Keenan, like I was slightly almost even embarrassed for his legacy in a way. I just didn't think those two years were very good. Um, It just, I don't know. It just felt awkward with him in Calgary, but I saw that and I said, well, that's the difference between watching and being in the dressing room, right? And he right, was in the exactly. dressing room yep. every day, and he must have liked the way that Keenan pushed the buttons, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the only conclusion I could come to as well on that. So uh, it was quite interesting. But to get back to the, the Daryl situation, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know if you saw it today or anybody that's uh, listening or watching saw it, but in the Calgary Sun today, 
Rick Ball, or excuse me, Rick Bell. Yes. Rick Ball is the a very uh, TV significant difference. Don't get, them, don't get them confused. This is yes. Rick uh, Rick yes. Bell. He's a columnist uh, in yep. the uh, Calgary Sun. Yep. Most of the time he talks about politics and the city hall and uh, the province and federal government and all that stuff. But today he tackled the Daryl Sutter situation. Yep. And uh, the headline above his um, above his column today was that Sutter pushed out by snowflake players. Yes. And he went on to be uh, he went on to be quite critical of the players mm-hmm. for what they had to say about Daryl that led to him being fired. Mm-hmm. And uh, he noted in there he said some of these players that were uh, voicing their displeasure with Daryl perhaps should look at themselves in a mirror and talk to themselves there because a lot of them didn't do very good last year. Yep. And, you know, to my point, I think you know, it is disappointing, uh, disappointing that um, that uh, these players in their exit meeting. And I'm told some of those exit meetings with these players that they did it one uh, one on one, one player each with uh, Maloney. And I believe uh, Trey Living was there as well. Uh, they two or three of them went an hour. Yeah. And most of it was uh, was criticizing Daryl. Yeah. And, you know, these players were paid pretty good money by mm-hmm. the Flames and consequently by the fans who buy the tickets to uh, go watch them play. And you would have thought that maybe these guys would have uh, put it upon themselves to play a little bit better than they did. Even though they had their issues with the coach, they were still being paid. It wasn't as though Daryl was taking money out of their uh, pocket. Nope. So, um, you know, a little disappointment in, in the players and uh, not all of them, obviously, but the ones that were uh, so extremely uh, exhausted with having Daryl as coach and probably were indicating they didn't want him back for next year. So he won't be back for next year. So we'll see now where it goes. It's the shoulder shoulders of the players are going to be a little bit heavier next year to perform regardless of who the coach is. Well, that's the net. Yeah. Okay. So he's gone. Now what are you going to do? And I got to be honest with you. I, I like Rick ball, uh, bell and ball. I like them both, but Rick bell yep. has been on, he was on the show before and, and well, not this one, but the old show. And we talk about the, you know, we talk politics with him when he'd help us through, you know, the fundings and those sort of things. Uh, I, I get the point of view. I don't have a problem with the point of view, but I think the point of view, Pete, and I think that's what's at odds here. And and again, not to tell tales out of school, but you and I had a very long conversation about this. The young player now is so much different than the young player from before. They have so yep. many voices in their ears so early. They have so many things taken out of their way, their hurdles, you know, they're, you know, if the team doesn't do success, you know, very, the team's not successful. Well, that's not you. That's the coach. There's all kinds of, not all of them, but in some cases, there's a lot of coddling going on. And, and it's not. Yeah, uncommon. absolutely. And we saw that in Winnipeg with uh, Rick Bonus, who's the direct opposite of Daryl when it comes to how he handles his players. Like he's yeah. more of a pat on the back kind of guy. Absolutely. And when he did get a little bit tough with the players, uh, went up against them. It was, uh, and in their in their exit meetings last week after they got eliminated, uh, uh, well, uh, Rick was really extremely uh, angry mm-hmm. after the last game and went on in the uh, on with the media for about a minute there and on a, t- a tremendous tirade about how the players uh, weren't pushing back and all that type of thing. And uh, then one of the the players then were criticizing him for saying that, saying they should have done it in the dressing room with the players. And one of the players, uh, Wheeler. Said in there, he said, "Well, Daryl or uh, Bonus gave us the uh, game plan. We didn't show up." So Wheeler basically said what Bonus was saying right. that the players didn't show up, even though uh, uh, you know this was a team that was in first place in the league in January, and then you know January, February they fell apart. Then they had a players-only meeting 
with about six or seven games left in the regular season and got themselves in the playoffs. So, yeah. but you're right though. There's a different, different, different style of player today than there was back in the day, you know, and I, I recall to a, st- a comment that Steve shot, I don't know if I mentioned on this program, uh, but Steve Shutt, the former Hall of Fame player with the Montreal Canadiens, a member of all those Stanley Cup winning teams mm-hmm. that the Canadiens had in the 70s. Scotty Bowman, the legend Scotty Bowman, was coach of that team, uh, those teams. And uh, Steve Shutt made the comment one day, you know, we all hated Scotty, but we loved him the day we got our Stanley Cup rings. So that's that's the players from that era and the player from this era is obviously, as you mentioned there, Rob, quite a bit different. Yeah. And, and, you know, one last one on this, not on this topic, but one last on this vein. And, and I would just say this, uh, like part of it is suck it up buttercup. There is part of that, but I I would say that, you know, I, I I felt Daryl and I've, I've expressed this numerous times on this program. I felt that Daryl had not adopted the new style of hockey with young players and the game has changed. Don Maloney said it on Monday, these young players, good, bad, or indifferent. It's just, you can't sit them and and leave them on the farm anymore. They have to get part of its salary cap because they're cheaper, but the reality is it's a faster league. And I, and I just think that was to me more of an undoing than anything for Daryl. Maybe not, but that's how I viewed it. That, yeah, know, well, there's no question that his, his not using uh, very frequently the younger players certainly was something that had to be an issue that management was concerned about. But then, you know, when you look at it, when when you're the general manager of a team, you're worried about the team now, but you're going to be worried about the team in the future. Well, right. the coach's job is right now. If it doesn't get <laughs> yeah. done now, then I'm gone, which well, it turns out it was. Now, going back to the time when Daryl coached the Flames the first time uh, and, um, you know, put them to the cusp of the Stanley Cup, uh, going to a Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Final against Tampa before ultimately losing, uh, that team was playing a whole lot different style than anybody plays today. I mean, oh, they, yeah. they, <laughs> that, in fact, they changed some of the rules after that. Because of it, holding absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, to go back to that, and I think this is the legacy that Daryl leaves with this franchise, in my opinion, hmm. is that if it wasn't for the job that he did when he came in and coached that team in 03-04, the Calgary Flames may not be in the city today. Yep. Uh, when you when you look at it, I mean, you're going into that season. The Flames had lost or uh, not made the playoffs seven consecutive years, and the start of that season, there weren't seven thousand people at the Saddle Dome for games that the Flames that were playing. And I remember the game that they played in late November in, in Edmonton, lost the game, and then fell into last place in the uh, in the conference. And that night, we're flying back on the charter from Edmonton, and we arrived at the airport here in Calgary. And I'm sitting across the hall or across the aisle from Daryl, and we didn't talk at all on the flight back. Daryl was in one of his moods. The team had lost. He wasn't too happy. But when we landed, he leans over to me and he says, be around tomorrow. I'm making a trade. And Daryl gets a lot of criticism uh, in his job as a general manager. But he made one terrific trade that day when he hired goaltender Mika Kiprasov. Because that team then... Uh, went from being in last place to a team getting into the playoffs and winning three rounds against teams that were well ahead of them in, in standing and then almost uh, beating uh, uh, Tampa to win the Stanley Cup. So uh, that, to me, is a legacy that Daryl should be remembered by uh, in his time as coach of the of the Calgary Flames because without that year, we not be talking about the Flames today. No, and, and I, I know there's some, some people probably go, oh, that's just hyperbole. No, it's not hyperbole. And, and I, I do find it a little bit frustrating sometimes that we don't have – 
you know, we have short-term memory. We don't have long-term memory. Yeah. The, Let me it. follow up on that, Rob. Just yeah, go ahead. As, you know, the, the no playoffs for seven years, then, then got in the playoffs and made that great run. The next year, there was no hockey. The NHL was locked. Players were locked out, and that was for the entire season. Right. So if the Flames had gone eight straight years with no playoffs, then no play, no hockey at all the next year, I don't think the fans would be coming back to the Saddle Dome and the Red Mile. Uh, and and the, well, there the, wouldn't the, have been a Red Mile. Yeah, there wouldn't have been a red mile. That's right. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the sea of red would not have been uh, formulated uh, getting back in sellout crowds for the the next season and the next season after that. So, uh, you know, that's the, that's the big issue there. Not only was the team bad uh, until they had that great run, but then there was a, a significant factor in not having any hockey in the league uh, after that year. And they're connected because, you know, Daryl's team that got to the Stanley Cup final and may have lost to Tampa Bay. I don't think they did, but all right. Um, they were still competing with the Canadian Equivalency Fund. You know, it was yeah, that, only right. that lockout. The reason there was a lockout, the reason there was no hockey was for a week was to get cost certainty. That's what we were told. And, Pete, I don't, again, it's not hyperbole. It's very easily this team could have been somewhere else if that had ever happened. Right? Yeah, absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, the ownership were very steadfast in um, wanting to keep the team here, and there were a lot of cash calls for the owners over mm-hmm. that, uh, that downtime. And they paid the, you know, they paid for it, figuring eventually things will turn around. And eventually, uh, eventually they did when the salary cap uh, came in. And, uh, you know, to your point, one of the flame owners said to me uh, after that series against Tampa in 04, that if uh, I didn't know when we were going to get this close to the cup, I'd have given Daryl more money for better players. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. And then again, like I say, everything turned around and they've had a lot of rosy days uh, since then. And uh, hopefully that things can uh, get turned around. They can have a lot more uh, outstanding days down the road. Wanna, I, I want to get into the combined search and how rare it is for the Flames to be looking for a head coach GM at the same time. But before I do that, you said something that I picked up on too, Pete. You were talking about Don Maloney, and, and he had said that he had talked to everybody. Did your ears prick up a little bit when he included prominent agents in there too? Yes, very much. Very, very much. I was quite surprised with the fact he mentioned uh, that he talked to agents because normally I hadn't really heard, now not this isn't to say it didn't happen, but I had never heard tell of uh, agents uh, being asked their opinions on a specific team and how their their clients felt and all that type of thing. It was really Really surprising when Maloney did uh, make that comment that he talked to a, a you know a group of player agents yeah. uh, in his in his route in making uh, the decision that they made. So yeah, very very surprising. So um, you know it's um, it's a new world, like you were saying, it's a whole different time. And you know, in some respects, you know, you have you have uh, agents uh, with these players. Sometimes the players talk to these agents more than they talk to anybody else. Sometimes they talk more to them than they do to their wives. And, uh, you know, yeah. when they've got things they want to complain about, they just pick up the phone and call them and the agent uh, sits there and listens and offers some advice and, and that sort of thing. So, um, it, uh, but it was really surprising to see that uh, the Flames did go out and talk with a bunch of them there. I, I thought that, you know, I, I was a little critical of Don Maloney and John Bean a couple of weeks ago because I just felt that press conference felt awkward and, you know, not sure what it did for the fan base. I thought Don Maloney held a hell of a press conference on Monday. I was really impressed, Pete. I thought he was in charge. He answered. I don't know if this makes any sense, but it almost felt like he was on the balls of his feet, that he was not back on his heels this time. Like he, I thought he did a great job. Yeah, and, you know, to go back to two weeks ago when they made the announcement of uh, Daryl, 
being let go. Uh, you know, that's a huge emotional you know, thing for both John Bean and for uh, sure. Don Maloney. I think a lot of that entered into their performance Absolutely. on that stage that particular day. But you are right. Last Monday, uh, Don Maloney, uh, you know, he was uh, he was absolutely uh, awesome. Um, well, the week before, sorry, going back to two weeks ago, they were talking about Brad Chi living yep. and his departure from the from the Flames, and I think that was a you know big thing for them because they were leaning on Brad for a lot of the things in his position as general manager. Then last week, by that point, uh, Don had his everything under control in his own mind, mm-hmm. and um, you know even though it was a tough day, uh, telling Daryl he's not going to be coaching the Flames anymore, uh, he handled it extremely well. Uh, in speaking with the uh, the media, which in return is speaking to the public uh, with that uh, news conference that they had and subsequent interviews after that that uh, he uh, he conducted. And I like the fact that he stressed the point that they're going to hire the general manager first. Yes. And then the GM can hire the coach. And that's the way it should be done. Absolutely. It always should be done that way with, uh, with any team. And I think the last time I was on, we were talking about uh, when the Flames got their search going for a general manager, and I made the comment they should talk to at least at least a dozen potential general managers from outside the Flames organization, if for no other reason to get their opinion of what they think of the Flames as a team. Even if they've decided that Rob Kerr is going to be the next GM, they still should go out and talk to all these uh, all these various uh, general managers that have sublied for the job that they think it could be good and could offer some insight. Now I'm saying uh, when the time comes for them to look for a coach, they should do the same thing. Go out and talk to a whole bunch, 10, 12 coaches elsewhere and get their views on the Flames. Because these guys may point out some things that you were, you hadn't really thought about or hadn't really noticed with regard to the team. And, and it can all help make the team better down down the road. So that's going to be – and uh, you know what's interesting, Rob? Uh, looking up historically, it's been 23 years since the Flames hired a general manager and a new coach yeah. in the same year. Wow. Which uh, goes back to when uh, when Al Coates was the general manager and Brian Sutter was the coach. Uh, they both were let go after the 1999-2000 season. And that was a year the team had not uh, made the playoffs part of that seven years in a row that we were talking about earlier. And, um, you know, they were, they, were, they were let go at the same time right at the end of that particular season. And, you know, it was interesting, through the course of that season, uh, often, you know, uh, on the road when we'd have dinner or something that be around Al and, uh, and Brian, mm-hmm. you know, they were saying, you know, our team has got a lot of good young players here. We may, you know, we're, we're struggling right now to make the playoffs, but I think we're going to be a real good team in the future. And when you look back on that team that they had, they had a number of outstanding players there that went on to have really good careers in the NHL. Val Bure, uh, Jerome McGinley, Martin St. Louis, uh, Mark Savard, Derek Morris, Robin Regeer, yeah. J.S. Jaguar. Uh, Corey Stillman, Chris Clark, and uh, Jason oh. Weimer. I mean, those were all young players that were on that team, and all of them uh, went on to have very good uh, careers, some of them exceptional careers in the NHL. And then, so when they got fired, they, uh, Flames note, they hired Craig Button to be the new uh, general manager, and then Craig hired Don Hay as coach. Well, Craig lasted less than three years as GM of the team, yep. and uh, Don Hay lasted 68 games. Uh, in his first and only year that he coached the Flames, coached for 68 games, was fired when the team was in Columbus uh, during the regular season. Greg Gilbert came in and then coached the team. He coached for about a year and a half, 
And that led to Al McNeil coming in and coaching the team for 10 days, for 10 games, <laughs> yeah. while, they, uh, while they went out and tried to find another coach, which eventually turned out to be Daryl Sutter. And so uh, that's, you know, that's how the circle of life went all around on that. So, um, you know, this, you know, it's a good thing. The situation now is they've got to get a general manager and a coach, get the GM installed, and then let him go out and have the search for a coach. Anytime we can have a chopper story, it's worth it. Yep. Right? <laughs> That, you know, that was like being around the team. That was like the grandfather coaching the grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Al was around and he was a very sharp hockey guy, a Stanley oh, yeah. Cup winning coach with Montreal Canadiens back in the day. And, uh, you know, he was part of the flame management team at that point. And I don't think he had any real desire to get back behind the bench, but the, the flames are in a bit of a bit of a uh, situation where they didn't have a coach and they wanted to do a little bit of a search for one. So he agreed to go behind the bench for a couple of games, I guess. And as it turned out, I think it was 10 or 11 games that he coached uh, the team through and players really liked him. There's no, uh, oh. no question about that. And uh, you know, he coached the team as hard as he could, just like he was back in his heyday as a, as a coach. So that was a, that was a real interesting time when uh, that was going on. Although behind the scenes, we're trying to get another coach and, um, you know, we're having a little bit of difficulty doing that before uh, before they finally talked. Ken King, who was the president and CEO of the team, then talked to Daryl and finally convinced him to take the job. Daryl had uh, been fired by San Jose uh, mm-hmm. earlier uh, that uh, that particular season, and uh, and uh, he was getting a little bit of a break, and that's when uh, that's when the Flames brought him in about the midway point of that 0-2-0-3 season, and then he got his first full season in the one we talked about earlier, the 0-3-0-4 campaign little bit of a break he was at the nfr right he was down in vegas at the national finals rodeo i think when that's they right finally yes. got him hold of him <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's right <laughs> so when they're doing all of this pete this is before social media this is before analytics and things like that but but craig button was one of the hot names in hockey he was part of the dallas organization he came from a bloodline you know his his dad and his his mom both had i believe had prominent roles in hockey his brother was working in hockey this was you know i i think of all the young names that are getting all the you know the agms that are getting thrown out now craig button was that right he was kind of the hot property at that point he was. There's no question about that because he'd been part of the uh, the management team for the uh, Dallas Stars, as you mentioned. Yep. They won the Stanley Cup in 1999, so the timing in there was uh, was pretty good. And you know they had a lot, developed a lot of good hockey players on on that team, and he had scouted a whole bunch of them. And uh, you know he had had some experience in, in management at a lower level than being general manager, but uh, he did come in with some very high credentials. And he continues to be active in the in the uh, hockey scene with with his reporting and uh, insights on uh, TSN. So he, he was um, on the show before us. Oh, was he? Was he? Bar- okay. He's on Barnburner today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's everywhere. He's everywhere. And Don and Don and Don Hay was a really well thought of young coach too at that time, right? Like, yeah, he had a you know he won I don't know three or four Memorial Cups uh, as a coach that time with Kamloops. And uh, I think he coached Aginla there, didn't he, for a year I or two? He did, yep. And uh, you know, and then, then Don, uh, yeah. So that didn't last very long, unfortunately. Don coming in as, as coach, that team was having, a, you know, having a real tough year. They lost some, they lost some of those players that I was talking about earlier mm-hmm. that Al Coates and, and uh, Brian Sutter had put together, and one of them, including uh, Arndt Sanlewi, who which they just let go and got nothing back in return, and he went on to be a Hall of Fame player, Stanley Cup winner with uh, another time when. Uh, 
or the time Tampa won the cup, he played a major role in beating the Flames in that uh, best of seven uh, playoff series. So, um, yeah, it was um, it was a tough tough go at that particular time for uh, for the team. And then Craig Gilbert came in and he ended up in a big fight with um, with one of the players, Mark Savard. And um, I know I wa- I watched Craig Button on TV not long ago on TSN uh, make the comment that if he could have done it over again, he would have fired Greg Gilbert instead of trading uh, Mark Savard. Right. Uh, but he said he you know his lack of experience and that type of thing. Um, he felt that there was uh, Gilbert didn't like uh, Savard. He was benching him, didn't play him very much, and um, Savard was criticizing the coach. And so, in that particular case, uh, the coach won instead of the player. But yeah, Craig admits now that uh, he should have gone the other way. So anyway, that's uh, but, uh, but that's all part of the flame of past, and, and now sure. they've got the future to look forward to. Um, one of the great crimes in hockey is that you called the first game in the Saddledome. You should have had the chance to call the first game in a new arena, but we this has been dragging out for years. But, Pete, we appear to have a, an agreement in principle. Um, your thoughts on, on what was announced a week ago or so by the province, the city, the Flames? Well, I, I think, Rob, the, the, the province getting involved uh, and, um, you know, pledging money to get this uh, project completed is was the key to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, as we all know, a couple of years ago, it all fell through when uh, when the new mayor came in and wanted more money from the Flames for some things for the new building, that, that type of deal. And then at that point, uh, Murray Edwards and Flames ownership said no or out of the deal altogether. And then uh, it didn't seem they were making a whole lot of progress. I know the city had brought in the... Uh, the uh, uh, OVG group, which is a group yeah. from the United States, uh, which owns a whole bunch of, uh, not, uh, not owns, but uh, is managing a whole bunch of buildings in the United States, including the uh, the arena where the Seattle uh, Kraken play their games, the football stadium in Las Vegas, the football stadium in LA, and a whole bunch of other, uh, other stadiums. And the, the idea there was to... Uh, have the Flames put money into it, this group put money into it, and the city put money into it. And in my indication is that the Flames were not all that interested in having another party uh, be managed of the building. They wanted to manage the building themselves. And it goes back to the day uh, when the Flames moved into the uh, Saddle Dome back mm-hmm. in 1983. Uh, at that time, the Stampede Board was managing the uh, Saddle Dome. And after one year of that, the Flames went back to the city and Said we'd like to run the uh, be management of the uh, management of the building, which they eventually got, and uh, and it was a nice working arrangement they had there. So even though that looked upon the uh, the new group coming in OVG of putting some money into the project, uh, the Flames weren't overwhelmed with the idea of having uh, another party run the building. So uh, when the province came in with uh, their uh, with their input, I think that's when the deal started to uh, you know look like it was going to happen. When Gary Bettman was here. Uh, you know, late in the in the regular season, I believe it was late February, early in March, uh, he made the comment that he talked to the mayor and he, he said, this is the best it's been in, in 10 years in getting uh, something positive going with the new arena. And I believe it was that time that the uh, the province got themselves in, involved in mentioning they were going to help out with the financing. So uh, to me, it's, uh, and the building that they're going to build now is going to be much different from what they were going to build back then. Yeah. And it's going to be much more extravagant uh, than they were talking about then, which will make it more comfortable uh, for the fans. So 
uh, it's excellent that they're, you know, that the new arena, at least they've got a proposed for it, or, and hopefully it'll go forward. The election, of course, is on, and that sounds like it's going to be a very interesting issue uh, among uh, the parties there as they, uh, they chat back and forth leading up to that May 29th vote. But hopefully nothing happens that's going to kill this uh, this uh, proposal or uh, plan for the uh, the new arena. And once that is built, it's going to be quite an electric place down there uh, in that area of the city. And uh, and uh, it'll be a lot of more activity with people going there for all kinds of different events, not only hockey. Yeah. I, it's I, going to be a second rink there. So, you know, the minor hockey teams can go in there and have practices and, you know, so they're hanging out around the area where the NHL players are and, and all that sort of thing. So I think it's a, a huge, huge positive in, in, in many, many ways. Yeah, I love the I kind of love the overall vision of it. I really do. Um, I'd like to see pictures. I'm just such I, I'm that I'm visual that way. And, you know, I don't know. Well, there aren't pictures yet. I don't think they've decided on on those types of. Yeah, things. no, I haven't seen any either. No, yeah. no, I, I'd like to. And, and I'm a little I'd like I would just wish that practice facility was bigger, Pete. I, I think Edmonton wishes their practice facility was bigger. I think everybody that's built one says, geez, I wish we built it to four or five thousand. Give some flexibility with no corral around anymore it just it feels like that size would really work in this city to complement the new a new arena yeah and the indication is that second arena you're talking about it's going to seat about a thousand people yeah which certainly would be much better served it was four or five thousand right um well we wait and see maybe that'll happen who knows oh sure maybe i mean for now we get Leaves we get the building. So. I, like I said on Monday, I w- kind of wish the other side of this political coin would have come out on Monday and said, no, we agree with the arena and we're going to build a football stadium too. <laughs> that that would have been fantastic. It didn't still work waiting that for that, Bob. I'm still waiting for that. It didn't work that way. Um, let's, uh, okay, let's get to the playoffs. I got a little flames we'll come back to, but let's go to the playoffs first, Pete. Um Man, it just the the first round was wild. We've started the second round. It it just feels a little scrambly right now. Has it been difficult for teams to get dates and put things together? Well, it's pretty incredible what what's happened. You know, when you look at all the upsets we had in round one, and then mm. uh, upsets again last night. In uh, you know, two prominent teams were beaten by you know lesser lights. Of, you know, barely squeaked into the second round of the of the playoffs. And you know, what's really interesting is that they announced there last night. The road team has won 33 games already in the playoffs. All last year, the road team won 35 games. That was through <laughs> the entire uh, playoff run. So it, it seems to a point now where teams don't care where they're playing. They're no. going to be able to play their, their top game, even if the crowd is, is cheering against them and in some cases booing them and, and that type of thing. It doesn't seem to be a, a bother at all to these teams. They come into the foreign rinks and uh, are able to play as well as they do on, the, on their home rinks. And I think that's been a big 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 part of all of that but um, you know you, you sit there in the first round I did my little prediction on my bracket for the playoffs I got uh, five out of eight right Ooh. and uh, after last night I'm uh, down a game in two series because <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I predicted that uh, I predicted the uh, Toronto would beat Florida in, in that series which mm-hmm. they still may do sure and I figured Carol I figured that um, that uh, uh, Dallas would beat Seattle, but of course Seattle turned around and won that opening game of the series last night. So uh, there's still time for these teams that I selected to win, but uh, now it's getting a little bit tougher. And uh, you know it's hard to figure out. But again, we go back to the modern day player. Yeah, uh, perhaps they have a different uh, state of mind when they uh, go into these various games, even though they're overwhelming underdogs. 
Well, to that end, I wonder if it's an anomaly or if it's a trend, because you said last year was a grand total of 35, right, through the whole playoffs. Yep. And, and you know, mm-hmm. Edmonton wins tonight and and, uh, and Jersey wins tonight, and they've tied it already, you know, one game yep. into the second round. Yep. I, I almost wonder if it's the opposite, Pete, of the visitor, if it's the home teams. I just wonder if it's becoming a little suffocating at home. Like, you better win. Like, you better win. You don't want the crowds turning on you. I mean, the crowds have seemingly been awesome, but, like, Toronto, they were booing them off the ice in the first game of the last round. Like, it's not a lot of love there. Rangers got booed off the ice uh, at home. And, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And You know, to me, I don't like that when the fans – I mean, the fans can do whatever they want. They're paying – they're paying the money for the tickets and that type of thing. But I just think that it's it's a little bit uh, not very fair to the, the guys on the ice when you're booing them off the ice when they're having a bad night. I mean, you, you want them to come back and play well. You should be encouraging them instead of uh, booing them off the ice. Be quiet, maybe, if they lost a game and don't say mm-hmm. anything, which is fine. But all the booing you hear, the sweaters getting thrown on the ice the odd time uh, when the home team loses and that type of thing. I'm I'm not a big fan of that type of thing. But you're right. In Toronto, they were they were booing the team off the ice there in one of the games, and then when they won the series, everything was great. Party was all over the. I mean, it was the, they practically had the Stanley Cup parade after they uh, they won that series against Tampa. So that's but that you know the nature of the fans today. And but like I say, the fan pays their money, and uh, you know they can do what they like. So but, but yeah, you're right. And you know there was I remember a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, one of the general managers, I forget who it was, but. He made the proposal that the uh, team that finishes in first place in the division, when they go into their first round playoff series, play the first game on the road. They would still get more home games if it went seven games than the other team that they were playing against. But they the preference was play the first game on the road, then come home and play a couple of games at home, then go on the road for two more, and then come back home for a couple more if you need them. But that never got uh, passed through. I know there was another time that uh, the proposal was made at the uh, league governor's meetings uh, that the um, the team finishing in first place have five home games in a best uh, best Seven. of five series as opposed to four, feeling that that would give them much bigger a bigger advantage. But again, that was shot down, and the plan stays as it is right now, where uh, the the team that's uh, got the higher point total during the regular season gets four home games if it goes seven and the other team gets three so i don't think that's going to change from the sound of things no you and i were talking about this on the weekend because in the american hockey league in this best of five the the top seed is given the choice do you want the first two games at home or the last three games and yeah and it you know i i don't mind that idea of a little strategy and and we kind of got into well you know, do you want to play one three or a two three two or you know two two one 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 or or you and I even yeah. proposed maybe they should play best of nines, Pete. <laughs> How about best of fifteen? <laughs> yes, best of fifteens. That's right. <laughs> I know you going. mentioned best of nine. I was involved in a best of nine way back in my days of uh, broadcasting and being manager of the team in Camelton, New Brunswick, where uh, we had a we had a four team league and one team dropped out just before the playoffs started. So uh, the team that was in first place was having some financial difficulties. And so we had a league meeting, had to decide what we're going to do, said, since we had only three teams left in the running. So I made the proposal that the team that finished in first place, since they've got a few financial problems, should have the, uh, should have the, uh, the decision to play the first round series, a best of seven, against the team that finished the worst in the league standings, and the other team get a bye. So in this particular case, this team took that. 
their series, their best of seven, and then the next series be a best of nine for the league championship. Well, this team that finished in first place, they took the uh, first round series, the best of seven. They thought they were going to win it in four straight. It went seven games, including the uh, the sixth game going four overtimes, which is still the longest game in Maritime Province's hockey history. And uh, then they had to play the seventh game the next night. And soon after that, they had to play the uh, series against um, the team that I was involved with. And uh, that was the best of nine series that ended in seven games. So that's the last time. That's the only time that I've been involved in a best of nine series. What happened? Now, I was involved in some best of three series in yes. the NHL. Yes. Uh, my last day, uh, the 1978-79 season, uh, when I was broadcasting in uh, Toronto, uh, it was a best of three series that year. And ironically, the Flames in the first round played the Atlanta, the Fl- uh, Maple Leafs rather, played the Atlanta Flames in that uh, best of three series. And the uh, Maple Leafs won in, in two straight games. And then when uh, then they changed the first round to a best of five series. And the Flames' first year here in Calgary, uh, the first round series they played was against Chicago. And uh, the uh, Flames won that series in three straight games and uh, eventually uh, went on to win the second round and lost out in the uh, third round to Minnesota. But uh, 1986 is the last time that the NHL had a best of five series in the opening round. And that year, uh, the Flames played Winnipeg in the first round, and they won the uh, series in three straight games. In fact, I well remember the last game in Winnipeg. The first two were in Calgary. The next one was in Winnipeg. And uh, the game went to overtime. And Lanny McDonald scored the uh, scored the winning goal. Uh, the assist went to Doug Reisbrow and John Tonelli. So the veterans on the team uh, were the the big factor in gaining that victory over the Jets back they, then. They carried the day, as as they say. They did those guys, yeah. yes. And then the, after that series, the Flames went on to play the Edmonton Oilers, and that was the uh, the big series where the Flames won out in uh, in six games or seven games and went on to the Stanley Cup final before ultimately losing out to Montreal. So uh, yeah, and that was the last time the NHL had a best-of-five series. And 78-79 was the last time they had a best-of-three series in the first round. After that, the other rounds were all best-of-seven. Never had a best-of-nine that I know of in the NHL, but maybe back in the old days. Well, maybe it'll come. Television will want it. We want best-of-nines. Yep. <laughs> Can you imagine that? We'll run the playoffs into August. Um <laughs> Yeah, and training camp starts in September. Sure. So. <laughs> uh, speaking of the last time, the last time two Canadian teams met in the Stanley Cup final was? 1989. Yeah. When the Calgary Flames and Montreal Canadiens met. That uh, series saw the Flames win in, in six games, and that's the last time two Canadian teams uh, have played in the Stanley Cup final. Now there's you know, it's a chance it could happen there's this year. There's a chance. With, uh, there's a chance. The two teams left, Edmonton and Toronto. It's a chance, Pete. It's a chance. It's a chance. You I don't know. think that the uh, I don't think the uh, U.S. television networks would like it. Oh, but, I, um... can you imagine that? Can you imagine? <laughs> because of course they're doing the same thing they always do, right? Like they're look at our numbers. We've never had this, but it's the, you know it's the most watched game on a Tuesday night by two teams from the Western Hemisphere. All that they just do all those gymnastics, those mental gymnastics to tell you how about how great things are. But can yeah, you imagine yeah. now? <laughs> It would be. I, I think it would be great hockey if McDavid and Matthews played. I think, it, but I don't. Oh, think that'd be an awesome. Yeah, and you know the TV ratings in Canada would be be great. 
But when they have more, you know, the U.S. one is a bigger television deal. It's got more more countries or more cities rather in the NHL. And I don't think it would draw very big ratings there. But um, it would be nice to see another all Canadian final. Yeah, we can. Although I'm not so sure how many Flame fans would want the Oilers to be there. No, and I'm one of them. Um, no, but I, I also see that the next board of governors meetings would be, uh, you know, to avoid this in the past, we're going to limit the playoffs to one Canadian team moving forward. So we can never, <laughs> never ruin TV again. Right. Some, some of these big brains and these big thinkers. Um, now you and I have talked a lot about this and we keep this alive because it's important to both of us, but a very important story in Toronto. On, it's funny. You texted me this story. And I think like 30 seconds later, Daryl got let go. <laughs> so yeah, for about right. 30 seconds in your in our world, this was the biggest story going. Yeah. But uh, the legendary voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Joe Bowen and Jim Ralph, his color person, who were forced to do the games, you know, from remote locations because they weren't traveling radio broadcasters. And Pete, certain people said, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. They're now traveling them in the second round. Yes, which was very, very outstanding decision made by the radio broadcast owners uh, to have those two guys on the road. They haven't gone on the road for a game since COVID uh, arrived on the scene, and of course that year that you know they played and they couldn't travel and that that and and did games then remotely from a, off a TV screen. I mean that in those days, though, that particular year or two, they had to do that because they mm-hmm. couldn't they couldn't travel, and uh, you know they they obviously did a, a pretty good job on that. But being a play-by-play broadcaster and, and myself, uh, you know, from the past time, and never did uh, broadcast a game off a TV screen, I would think it's extremely difficult to uh, call a game off a uh, television screen, and uh, unfortunately, uh, it. it in some instances, the uh, the radio stations that have the broadcast rights decided not to have their broadcasters travel uh, for any of the uh, games on the road for that were radio broadcast in uh, in Calgary, in Vancouver, in uh, Toronto, and uh, and now uh, Joe Bowen and uh, as you mentioned uh, and Jim Ralph are going to be uh, going on the road for the uh, the remaining games on the road that the Maple Leafs have and. Some of that may have been spurred from the fact that, that Joe, unfortunately, two of the three overtime winning goals that he called in the, uh, the Toronto series against Tampa, he called the wrong player, including in game number seven. And now, I don't blame him at all. I mean, he's trying to call it off a screen. There's celebration going on. There's you know, there's all kinds of things that happen around the net. And if you're in the building, you know who scored that goal. Unless there's the odd time, you might have to wait a couple of seconds. And uh, so uh, I'm really glad that those guys are going to get back on the road. And hopefully the uh, Flame guys who have been doing for the last three years uh, broadcasting road games remotely will get back on the road and be in person for all these games that uh, they have to call in the future. And not only is that, you know, calling the game is is difficult doing it off a monitor. When you're traveling with the team, you learn all kinds of things about the players, not, not controversial things, but little tidbits that you can pass along to the the fans that that put them behind the scenes, giving them a little bit of look at uh, at at what some of these players are like and that type of thing, which you don't get if you're not traveling with, with the team, because that's where you get, uh, to know the team much, much better than you do uh, just being around them when they are at home. So, uh, uh, unfortunately, this is something that's happened uh, not only in Canada. Some of the American teams have done the same thing. But uh, it's it's a good uh, deal now that at least the Toronto guys 
are going out on the road for uh, for this uh, playoff series, and we'll continue that way uh, as long as the Leafs are in the running, and hopefully next year it will become a regular feature for all of the teams. You know, Pete, I, for some people this sounds like it, you know, it's inside baseball and why should anybody care? But it really is about the quality of the product. And, and I watched Mike Rogers. I watched Charlie Simmer on the road. Not only did they learn more about your team, but they also learned more about the other team because they all had relations. Right. And it was so common for Mike, you know, in the first period or second period to say, you know, I had a chance to talk to so-and-so today and he told me about this. Yep. You, just, yep. you don't get it by not being there. And, it shouldn't always be about money. It should be about quality. Let's start with That's quality. Right. Absolutely. Let's start. And it Absolutely. just needs to, it needs to go that way. Right. And another thing, you know, you're, you're calling a game off a monitor. Sometimes, sometimes you don't, you don't know the goaltender has been pulled. Like if there's a, you know, the one or two goal mm-hmm. difference in the team, you're thinking in your mind, they probably did, but I can't say they did because I don't know. Because yep. <laughs> you don't see the other end of the building, That's and right. sometimes they'll put it up on the screen that the, the net is empty. But uh, you know that uh, that doesn't happen all the time. And and I know the local guys got confused that way a few times this year in calling games when uh, they didn't know if the goalie was out of the net or not. And if they'd have been in the building, they would have known. Just a quick glance to the left or right would have told you that. And uh, you know, there's all those little things and, and the jerseys that these teams even on a budget. Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Where are some of them? Uh, you know, the coloring of the numbers is somewhat similar to the jerseys. That's tough enough to read them in an arena, let alone try to do it off a TV monitor, uh, unless you've got a real close-up of the player, which, um, you know, doesn't happen all that often, unless it's, you know, after the whistle or something like that. So there's all kinds of little intricacies there that, uh, that, that, that the broadcaster misses out on and consequently the fan misses out on. So it's all part of the quality, as you mentioned, Rob. Let's do this. This state in flames history. I think I know what it is. I don't know. I think I know what it is. This is the day. Oh, this is the day. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, there you go. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one, Pete. That's the one. The Flames eliminating the Detroit Red Wings. What a game. The powerful Detroit Red Wings. Very powerful. And there are two things that that did for me. One, it made me very humble. And two, I believe that goal got me into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I'm often often told Martin Chalina, who of course scored that goal, I've often told him, I said, you're the guy that got me in the Hall of Fame. And he yeah. just looks at me and he's, no, no, no. I said, you got, you got all of the credentials, blah, 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 to be in the Hall of Fame. And you know why I say that is that that goal, at that particular year, ESPN, the sports network in the United States, yeah. they ran a every week. They had the top five highlights from the NHL playoffs and the National Basketball Association playoffs. And that goal ran as number one five weeks in a row with my audio and the, the, the video that you showed on there. Yeah. So that, that was, uh, and to me, that you wouldn't believe how many radio stations called me for interviews in oh. little towns or little cities in the United States wanting to talk to me about that goal. And uh, so to me, that's, that, that was the key. And you know what was also interesting there is that, and I didn't realize this until the other day I was looking it up, Martin Gelina has the record for the most series-ending overtime goals. Mm-hmm. He did it with the Flames in that particular series. Yep. He did it in the series before that with Vancouver. And he did it in uh, two, uh, 2002 when he was playing for the Carolina Hurricanes. Yep. He finished a game seven with the overtime winning goal. So uh, Marty should be in the Hall of Fame. He should be. All I... those key goals he scored. Now, the part that humbled me about all of this is that uh, after uh, he scored the goal, I yelled out three yeah babies. Triple which, yeah babies. Yep. Yeah. So one would have been suffice, considering it was a second-round playoff series. And I remember afterwards that I was down in the hot stove lounge with you guys, yourself and Mike and some other people there, and they replayed the goal. And when I heard it, oh. I, uh, that I heard the three yeah babies there, I said, oh, no. I think I said, Danny Gallivan's going to hate me for this. Because Danny was my broadcasting idol. And uh, anyway, so I got home that night. I couldn't sleep. And uh, I was really concerned about it. So the next day, the first thing I did was down to the Saddle Dome and go into Daryl Sutter's office. Daryl, of course, uh, being the coach of the team at that time. And so I said, Daryl, I want to apologize for being uh, uh, so out of line when uh, Marty scored that winning goal last night with the three yeah babies. And then he looked at me, had that real stern look on his face, and I figured he was going to start yelling at me or throw something at me or whatever. And then all of a sudden, a smile came across his face, and he said, you know, I heard that this morning. It was outstanding. And so (laughs) I felt a little better about it after that. So um, unfortunately, there were no other three uh, babies from that year, but there might have been if uh, that goal Marty scored in game six had counted. Yeah, well, that's exactly it, right? That would have been yep. – yeah, there would have been a couple of not – yeah. Um, by the way, uh, credit, that was uh, – the, the clip that we had was from CBC. That was Don Whitman. So um, that is not Pete. Uh, and the, the reference that you made, Pete, cannot say stress this enough, is that goal hung around on those top tens for a long time. 
Like it, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 this was before viral. There wasn't viral video. There wasn't social media or anything like that. Like it, right. it mm-hmm. hung around for a while and yep. yeah, it was, yeah, I, I just love it. 19 years ago today. Can you believe it, Pete? Yeah. Hard to believe, hard to believe that time has flown by that, uh, that, that fast. Again, it seems this like yesterday. I can recall yeah, it, that goal being scored. So and that, was, and that's yeah. what I was going to say for me, it, it, that that year, that run, it seems like it was just yesterday. Things that happened two or three years after that feel so fuzzy and far removed. Like honestly, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, we, we yeah. were talking. Yeah. We were talking about Mike Keenan. Yeah, that seems like it was further away than that. Like that, that's right? You know, and that's like five <laughs> years later or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. it's crazy yeah. how the mind works, isn't it? Yeah, indeed, indeed. But you know, another part of that that game that Mika Kiprasov at the other end of the rink. Re- Oh. Got the shutout, his yeah. third shutout in that series, yeah. and he stopped thirty-eight saves that uh, that day to uh, you know, to That's preserve the win at the other end of, of the rink. And uh, he had a he had a streak going of one hundred and forty-nine minutes and eleven seconds of shutout hockey in that series. That's unbelievable. I mean, he was he was phenomenal. And like yeah. I say, we talk about talk about Daryl Sutter's trades. Maybe some of them weren't very weren't very good, but that one was top notch. Maybe one of the best in Flames history. Well, we never do this. The other but... two, the other two other trades in flame history that come to mind here quickly, and it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, twenty-three years ago, when Al Coates and uh, mm-hmm. Brian Sutter were uh, let go as uh, general manager and coach, respectively. Al Coates made two of the biggest trades in flame history, if, if not the biggest. He acquired Jerome McGinley, and he acquired Robin Regeer. Yep. No forward has played more games at the Flames than Jerome McGinley. No defenseman has played more games in the Flames than Robin Regeer. And Al made both of those trades under tough circumstances because in the trade for Aginla, he traded Joe Newendike, who had left the team in training camp. And he only made that trade in, in December, uh, the middle of December, right before the Christmas trade deadline. Actually, it was the night of it. And it was just uh, an hour before the deadline hit that he made that deal that got uh, Jerome Aginla to be, be aflame. And then he made the deal for Robin Regeer after for Theo Fleury. And after uh, the Flames had tried to sign Theo to a contract extension, and that wasn't that wasn't working. That's when the big money was going elsewhere. And uh, then he made that trade to get Robin Regeer in in a trade with uh, with Colorado. So uh, and those guys turned out to be outstanding players. So Al Coates deserves a lot of kudos uh, for those uh, those decisions that he made to make those trades under great pressure. He does indeed. And I'll you know what? Next time I see him, I'll tell him he said so. Because I see him quite often, so I have no problem telling that, Dow. Okay, well, I, I think I told him that once or twice. Oh, did you? Okay, as long as Over I Over a couple of beers. Oh. <laughs> Pete, always... That, that got him to buy, you know. You gotta... <laughs> but no, in all sincerity, those were, those were major trades that he made. So, so we're, we're going to say goodbye to you now, and you'll join us in a couple of weeks. I can only imagine what's going to happen in that time span because we lost a coach and got a wow. building the last time we did this. <laughs> last time I went off, I said, I wonder what we're going to talk about in two weeks from now. Probably nothing. <laughs> Probably but here not. we are. We're... <laughs> but here we are. Always we had appreciate... more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Anyway, have a good one, Rob. You bet. Take care, man. Yep. Is there anybody better? than the great Peter Marr, legendary voice of uh, your Calgary Flames, our Calgary Flames, and just the best mentor you can have in the world, trust me. Um, I am blessed, absolutely blessed to call that man a friend. Uh, he is our uh, guest, brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. Uh, yeah, it's going to, the green's coming, and, the, you know, it's warm, but 
snows around the corner. I hate to tell you this. It's coming back in the fall. Three locations, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street, and Bow Ridge Road uh, in the Northwest. Uh, coming up on Monday, or coming up on Friday, Eric Dehatchik. I won't be, I'll be here. I just won't be here here. Won't be in studio. We'll be doing the show off studio. Eric Dehatchik will join us. Uh, Monday, Ryan Pike's going to join us. Lots of hockey talk uh, still to come. A reminder, we're broadcasting live from Treaty 7 Territory here. It's an inclusive program. Everybody is welcome. And we are live in the Oodle Noodle Studio. Local, loved, delicious since opening their first store back in 2005. Oodle Noodle has been all flavor and just the right amount of weird. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North, Airdrie. Pickup and delivery. Why should we wait? We should not wait. We should get right to our next guest, and I'm really excited he can spend time with us. Good dear friend of the program. Uh, again, it's, it's like greatest guys in the world day here on, uh, on, on the program. Uh, as we go from Peter Marr uh, to our dear friend Rob Cookson, brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Rob joining us today, <clears throat> I believe. Are you there, Rob? We can't see you. I can't. I, I'm here. I, I can hear you, but I can't see you. Did you turn okay. your camera on? Yeah, it's on. There oh, we go. There it is. There it is. Perfect. I mean, I hate to say for a former video coach, I would hope you could get the camera to work. I'm not even close to being a video coach anymore. No, I'm, I know. I, but in, in the sense of um, uh, what these guys do nowadays, um, you know, I had a my great experience to start with Roger Nielsen when I was in Philadelphia, but that isn't even close to what uh, gets accomplished today with the uh, access to video and the uh, technology and the systems and that sort of thing. And I mean, they're, they're so sharp. That's probably the biggest improvement in the game in the last, uh, you know, 20 years, 23 years has been that aspect of it. And it's, it's amazing. It's really is. But, hey, I'm really wow. happy to see that you're back behind the mic. And uh, I wanted to say that. I I, I, uh, I think that um, the city of Calgary is so blessed to have you in the city doing what you do. And uh, and the uh, hockey world is uh, is also blessed to have you back there. And uh, we missed you. I missed you on, there, on the radio when you left there for a little bit of a uh, hiatus. But uh, now you're back, and I think that's great. I, I'm really happy for you. Well, I appreciate it, Robin. It's I appreciate you coming on, and we got you just like you have not been home for very long. Um, the no, coach, no. the coach, the coaching journey has has taken you across. Now, before we do that, though, because we just played it for Pete, um, yeah. Jack, can we do this again? Nineteen years ago today, I want you to tell me what you remember about this. I remember uh, a lot of that series, and uh, mostly what I remember is how good we played and how, and, and when I say how good, it's just how strong we played defensively. And, and uh, you know, I always, I always joke uh, about the fact that, you know, there's Jerome in the regular season and then there's Jerome in the playoffs. And uh, it's not even close. And uh, I always, he always joked with me when he's, he would talk about an 82 game schedule. And he says, it's, it's an 82 game schedule. You can't be a hundred percent every game. And, uh, but in the playoffs, he was, 
he was just phenomenal. And, and he's huge. He's a large reason why we went where we went to in, in 03, 04. And of course, and I heard earlier talking to, when you were talking to Peter Marr, uh, uh, Mika Kippersoff was a <laughs> yeah. big uh, part of it too. Well, and I was really uh, big part of it. <laughs> because do you remember, I want to say it was like 56, 58 seconds into that overtime, he robbed Detroit. Like it was, it should have been over. There's a zero zero game going in overtime yeah. in game six. And he absolutely robbed Detroit. And, you know, and you, you, this goes on. This is what, with a minute left or whatever in that first yeah. overtime period? Yeah. He, he was something else. Yeah, he was great. And uh, you know what I remember about that series as well is the fact that um, we had, uh, we played Brennan Evans in the, um, uh, had not played a uh, regular season NHL game in his, his short uh, career in the National Hockey League. But we ended up playing him, I think, about six minutes and, 58 seconds and had never played before didn't play much afterwards but uh daryl had a lot of trust in uh in playing those types of players and and he just you know he expected them to respond and yeah. and those types of players did and, and that was really uh crucial for us and we went through about i think we we went through nine defensemen in that series uh not in that series but in the uh overall playoffs of one form or another that we needed to have. And that's, I always remember that because um, the depth in defense in the playoffs is so critical and mm-hmm. as it is in the regular season. I mean, you can get by with um, a shortened version of a lineup uh, up front with forwards, but not with defense. No. no. And you see some of the teams now, you know, what happened to some of the teams in the playoffs, uh, especially I think with um, probably a little bit with, um, with Tampa Bay, not only with uh, Cernak missing, but they were shortened when they had to make trades to to stay under the the salary cap, you know, yeah. McDonough yeah. was a big part of that, I think as yeah, well. For sure. Um, so the, the other part of that series, and it's not necessarily portrayed in that game, but you, you would have had a really interesting point of view on it too, was Dave Lowry, right? Because Lowry was on the bench, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and then, and then, yeah. you know, all of a sudden nobody knows it and he gets slotted and he's playing again. It was, yeah. it was kind I of remember that series. I remember in that series because uh, he wasn't playing as much. And I think he be- came back into the series in that uh, against Detroit. Yep. But uh, I remember um, he, he uh, wasn't playing obviously. So he would go over to the casino in the afternoons and in, uh, in Detroit. And uh, I remember Kelly Chesla having to chase him down to find him where he was at, to, that he was going to go into the lineup. <laughs> and uh, so that was funny. <laughs> You know, playing a little cards or something. Yeah, well, just taking the edge off. Um, But yeah, he was, uh, I think that was a great introduction. And Daryl really trusted him uh, with the sense of um, what he could offer. And, and, you know, that's, that's happened before, I think, in, in, in playoffs where they've, they've uh, brought key players onto the uh, bench just to, you know, to give them some, uh, some input and, and calm some players down, uh, that sort of thing. So I think that's important. So that was 19 years ago. Let's fast forward it up to uh, today. As I mentioned, you've just returned from Switzerland. You're back with Zurich. You're back with Mark Crawford. You're back with the Lions. Uh, tell, yeah. me a li- tell me a little bit about the whirlwind, which has been the last four months for you. Well, I didn't go over there till the uh, middle of January. Yeah. And uh, we had actually signed contracts in uh, November to start coaching uh, 
at the end of the season this season and going for the next two years. Okay. And, and so, you know, as it, as always is the case, there is, uh, you know, once you, and especially in Europe, once you have uh, locked up a, a coaching staff and the other coach that was co- coaching at the time had already signed a contract with another team, you know, it's, it's uh, inevitable that those situations occur where they're going to make changes. Sure. And so, um, um, yeah, we went over there. Mark went ahead of me uh, by about six games. I had some personal things to look after. And it was good from our standpoint that we got to know the players uh, heading into the now, which is the next two years or longer. And, um, you know, it was a, a pretty exciting going back to Zurich because they, they just moved into a brand new rink Yeah, that the owner built uh, with a lot of his own money. And, uh, and so that was exciting to go into that new facility. It seats about 12,000 and uh, it, um, it opened up, uh, you know, brand new locker rooms and, and facilities for the players. And uh, this owner is a tremendous owner. Uh, he is uh, really uh, respected in the uh, European uh, circles of hockey. Uh, he's very, very uh, generous with his uh, money. He runs likely about a, a hockey association that's as big as any hockey association in um, in Canada. And he basically funds, you know, in various areas, the entire uh, association, uh, let alone the uh, hockey team, which is, uh, you know, it's not as big as what you would find, obviously, in the National Hockey League, but it's, it takes substantial um, um, resources resources to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and the fans that come to the games over there, they don't pay – what you have to pay to come to an NHL game. So it's not a huge revenue builder for, for, uh, you know, a fan base uh, for the owner. And so, yeah, so it was nice to go back. We, we, we had, um, I would say we had just moderate success. We won the first round and then, and then lost four straight in the second, uh, in the semifinals. So it, that wasn't, um, um, enjoyable in that aspect of it, but, um, you know we're we're in the midst now of changing over our, almost an entire roster because we have um, uh, right now we have four new imports that we can sign. So mm-hmm. that happens, you know, over the next uh, month and a half, two months, and uh, so that's exciting because that you know that changes your entire team quickly. Right. You know? Right. So it's like getting it's like Calgary getting the two free agents they got sure. signed up, uh, you know, coming into this past season. So. That's exciting. And um, I enjoyed going back there because, you, you know, you make a lot of friends. I was there for four years, which is hard to believe I was there for four years. And uh, so you make a lot of friends. Then it's a it's a pretty good it's a pretty good uh, style of, of hockey over there. They're they're very passionate, the Swiss, about hockey. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really is what makes it uh, worthwhile. Um, the buildings are are you know, sold out pretty much every night, wherever we go and wherever any team goes in the league, it's a sellout. And uh, we have uh, about 12,000 people to every game. Burn has about uh, 16,000 to every game. And so it's, um, it's a good um, sport in a, in a great country. How much is the game over there changed? You mentioned your four years before, because when last we spoke about, uh, Zurich for you 
you and, and Mark coached Austin Matthews in his, his 18 year old year. How much has that league changed since that? Uh, it's changed a lot, uh, Robbie, because um, they've, uh, they increased the number of imports that can, can come into the, uh, into your team. So when we were there, it was four imports. We had Austin, um, uh, Mark Andre Bergeron, uh, Ryan Shannon and Ryan Keller. And uh, so those are the four imports. And then now it's gone to six right. imports, which changed the whole dynamics of your, of your roster, but also the, um, the top Swiss players now who may have played against, a, uh, you know, a third line, if you're a forward, now you're playing against, a, you, you know, you're playing up against a more difficult opponent. So it makes it a, a harder league for, for the Swiss player. And, uh you know, obviously the budgets have increased uh, tremendously. Mm-hmm. The game has got a lot uh, quicker over there. Uh, the coaching has got a lot better, we feel, anyways. Yeah. And so that's made it uh, interesting. They, you know, with the six imports now, you can bring in a in a import goaltender, which makes a huge difference in terms of your, um, um, you know, just the uh, overall success of your team. And so that makes a big difference. And obviously, I think goal scoring is probably gone down a bit because of it because the mm-hmm. goaltending is, is really good yep and so that's the biggest change and uh you know this year we had uh, we had uh, alex texier who's going to go back to columbus okay and he's a young guy uh as an import so the majority of the imports are a little bit older than that they're you know it, you know the late 20s into the 30s um so they're they come over with a, a lot of experience but he was a wonderful player. He was really good. I hope he has success in Columbus because he's a, he's a kind of a game breaker. Uh, he shoots the puck really well and uh, he carries the puck well. So it'll be interesting to see how he transitions back to the National Hockey League. And he's he's in a good place. I mean, we, not a lot is known. We just knew that he left and, and we had heard he was coming back to the NHL, but in a good place, ready to come back? I think so. I don't, you know, I've had great conversations with him, as has Mark. And um, I think he seems pretty comfortable with life right now. Okay. You know, it's a big transition for some of those players because, you know, he lives in Chamonix, which is in the uh, French Alps, and it's right next to a ski hill. So it's a pretty comfortable lifestyle that he had there. And then he got transitioned out of there. He went to Finland for a while. And uh, so he's had a lot of change. It's I don't think it's that easy. You know, I, I respect players now that come from the north, from Europe over to the NHL because it's a big, mm-hmm. it's a big change to your lifestyle and and vice versa. For us, it's I find it um, sometimes a little difficult to get back uh, into the swing of things when you get back to North America. I spent a lot of time the first couple of years getting up early and watching NHL games, which was uh, you know added to your day and and the uh, fatigue of your day, but. <laughs> Now I just get up in the morning and check the scores. That's about it, especially in the playoffs. Sure, sure. Um, tell me about Champions Hockey League, and, and is that a bigger thing than maybe the last time you were over? I, I know that the internet and social has certainly you know made the world very open yeah. to everybody, but uh, we don't have that in North America. We don't have those you know extra tournaments. That That's a yeah. staple of, of play over there. Is that a big deal for you, Rob? Uh, you know, Actually, it's not a big deal this year because we're not in it. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and they've scaled back the number of teams that are getting in uh, for one reason or another. And uh, and it, it, it um, 
it has caught on to some degree, but not, I wouldn't say, as popular as uh, the uh, soccer football uh, champions. No, no, no. Not even close. And, but it's that you know, idea, right? But it's that kind yeah. of idea, yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, the, the, the soccer champions league is millions and millions of dollars. Like, mm-hmm. that's not what this league's all about, this hockey champions league. Um, I think when we first started, we we really didn't know what it was all about. Um uh, when we were in in uh, Zurich um, back in the um, 012 or 013 to 017 season. Um, so we really didn't have, know what it was about as as much as it's got to right now. It's it's I don't think it's caught on as, as popular as what it should be, but uh, it's still pretty good. I mean, some of those teams, I, I know like teams in the, in the UK, they get in the Champions League. It's a big thing for them because they get yeah. the go across into uh, mainland Europe and, and play against top teams. Um, and for us, it was good. The one year we, we did it and uh, we had some good success. Um, I think that was the year we had Austin the last year we were there. And so, um, but again, we're not in it this year, so I'm not really even worried about it that much. And, and it's scaled back. So, you know, only two teams, basically now three teams are in it from uh, the Swiss League only because uh, the top two teams ended up in the final. Okay. And so they had to add one more team. So, yeah, I'm not worried about it now. I get it. Um, <laughs> you talked about the new building. You talked about coming back. You talked a little bit about video. Um, tell me what's, you know, what are the resources like for you now in in the Swiss League? I mean, what, you, you know, is it, very comparable to the NHL is it you know for you and Mark I mean what what are the resources that are available to you to help your team you know develop yeah they were uh, actually the uh, resources are as as good as what you would get uh, from um, from the from the National Hockey League in terms of what's available in the Swiss League we have a a company that provides um, all the analytical material you need they break down the games for you they they do a lot of things that are uh, really uh, phenomenal and um you know there's people over there that are very passionate about about the game and they've uh the company that uh that we work with uh, is um you know they're able to use the uh the technology to uh you know put together systems and and uh um you know anything you need to to examine to get prepared to play and plus for your own team and uh you know we have um Right now we don't have a video coach, but you know, and um, we'll have one when we come back. And he is responsible for a lot of the uh, breakdown of the game and uh, and uh, providing the material that we need. And uh, we never had that even as far back as when we first started there. And um, so that's a great step. Um, and it's uh, actually this year. At the end of the year, we, we used a fellow that uh, the previous coaching staff had used, and he was out of Montreal, a fellow by the name of Jack Han. And uh, um, he was really good in the sense of breaking down the game and providing with details. So it's really good. It's changed so much. It's just yeah. impressive how yeah. much it's changed. Yeah. Do you have much role with the, the minor hockey system? Because it's different over in Europe. Like you, Because underneath you is the whole minor hockey system for Zurich, right? Or essentially. Yeah. So what, what we have, we have the, uh, the top team, which is Zurich Lions. And uh, and then we have a farm team, which will 
you know, sign three or four older players that uh, have been in the uh, in the Swiss A-League for a while, mm-hmm. and they have the option to bring in two imports. And then it's all young guys that are on that team. So we have um, um, that resource available to us, so we can we can bring those players up and play them if we want to. We have the uh, they have a U twenty team that just won the Swiss League. Yep, and uh, and then a the under-17 team, an under-15 team. And so there's probably at uh, in total, there's a 1,000 kids playing uh, in that city. And then they can bring in, um, you know, they can bring in players from other parts of um, of Switzerland. And also they bring in a few kids from outside the country in terms of uh, Latvia or Austria, those types of things. Right. When, you know, they had um, Kevin Fiala played in the, uh, when we were there, just before we were there. And then he went, I think he went to uh, major junior, but, you know, so he was uh, a kid that came in, um, you know, Tech Shea wasn't a kid that played there, but he, um, you know, he came to the organization uh, as an import. Uh, we have a young kid actually now, he's a 16 year old that will play next year. Uh, that uh, is a Swiss Russian. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they get their, some of them get their, uh, their passport to play if their if their family or if their father played hockey there yep. and they played for a little bit, so they get the uh, Swiss um, uh, passport to play. They don't have a Swiss passport to live, but right. they don't have they don't count as an import. So, you know, that, it's really impressive in, in terms of that. And it's a full time staff. They have uh, the staff right now is about 40, 40 people in the organization, and they run the team and they run the the association and uh, right. and the owner, you know, you know, they have great sponsorship, but the owner probably at the end of the day gets the checkbook out and, and, and provides uh, support that way. Um, you and, and Mark have really had an interesting uh, decade or so. I mean, you were there together, you were in Ottawa, were you not together in Chicago yeah. together? And now you're back together. Yeah. Just tell me a little bit about that relationship and how that's grown. Uh, well, it's, um, it started in 98 at the Olympics right. uh, in the, in the Gano. And, uh, and then obviously I was in Calgary um, in 2000 and uh, he had moved to Vancouver. So, you know, we always kind of kept in contact. Mike Johnson, who's a good friend of, uh, of Mark's coach with, Mark in Vancouver and and I know Mike well. So there was the connection there. Um, And then um, one day he was uh, driving from uh, Vancouver to uh, Cornwall where, where he has his home and he phoned me up and he, that was the year I had left the flames. Mm -hmm. And he asked me if I wanted to go to, to Switzerland because I was unemployed. I had coached the year before at the university of Calgary, which was good with Mark Howell. And, um, and then um, I said, why not? We'll give it a shot. And uh, we've developed a really good friendship as my wife and, and uh, his wife have. And uh, I know their family really well. Uh, not only Dylan, who works in Vancouver, but um, his uh, other daughter, uh, uh, Katie, who's a um, finishing up her PhD in sports psychology in the, in the UK. Mm-hmm. So we've developed a good friendship and uh, we have a good working relationship. Uh, he's a good coach and he's, um, and uh, he, 
he trusts me with what I do and uh, I believe in what he does. So we have a very similar um, philosophy about sure. what we need to do to have success. And, uh, uh, you know, he's had several opportunities when we were in Zurich to get back to the National Hockey League as a head coach. Uh, you know, we interviewed in uh, Ottawa at the end of our, our tenureship in Zurich the first time. And, uh, and then he um, um, interviewed in Florida before that. And so he's had several opportunities over, over the years. And they just haven't probably made the right fit. And yeah. so, but we seem to get along. We, uh, it, it, you have to have a, I think to go over there's it's, it's important to go with uh, some people that have similar backgrounds. It's tough if you go into, even if you go into Russia, it's tough to do that if you don't bring somebody in. And I think that was what helped us a lot because we have a similar background. We have a lot of uh, people we know from the past. Sure. He, he worked with Roger Nielsen at his hockey school. So we have that background and, um, you know, some of the people that were associated with Roger at the time, Mike Johnson's another one that we have a background with. So it's, it's always good to have those types of uh, relationships to go uh, for long periods of time over there. Rob, it just occurred to me, cause you brought it up a couple of times. We're all the way over here in North America. You're on, you know, you were working in continental uh, Europe. What is the, the war in Ukraine like, over there i mean obviously it has an impact in hockey we know that you know the russians and uh and yeah. are not allowed to play and belarus not allowed to play in the tournaments is it is it more omnipresent there than it would be over here in north america no you know what it's um it's you know the one thing that probably makes a big difference to me is i don't really pay much attention to the news when i'm over there i pay right. more attention to what's happening in north america uh so you know, I, but in talking to a lot of people about it on the, uh, on the different occasions and people who are in the know-how, there's not a lot of uh, attention paid to it uh, for one reason or another. I know it's an important topic and yep. it's an important yep. Yep. area of uh, observation and uh, it likely shouldn't be happening. Uh, but for one reason or another, the Swiss are a very, uh, uh, you know, they're part of the economic union only through an arrangement. And um, so they basically function in their own world and, uh, sure. you know, they do a very good job of it. They're very supportive outside the country, but, you know, they're, they are internally a great organize, a great country. So it, uh, it, uh, they just function that way. And um, um, I think that, um, you know, they work well within the economic union and, but they're, mm -hmm. they're more or less unto themselves in some respects. But it that's not to say that they don't uh, care about what's going on. That's for oh, sure. No, 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 no. I was more thinking yeah. about, you know, imports and, and how that all trickles through the leagues over there. You know, and, uh, you know, we still see Canadian players playing in the, in the KHL and things like that. Yeah. I was just, I was just kind yeah. of curious about it, what that might have had in terms of ripple effect in hockey. We did, you know, there was a, there was a, um, you know, I think a lot of uh, uh, European players have come into the Swiss league that played in the KHL. Yeah, we have two players. We have uh, Mikko uh, Lettinen, who was um, playing in the KHL. We had uh, Lucas Walmark, who was playing in the KHL. Uh, you know, uh, Yoho uh, Lamico probably would have ended up playing there. Um, so that makes a big difference. So you get a, a pretty good group of imports coming in that that can, could have played in the KHL but have chose not to, which 
you know, is probably the right reason right now. Sure. Um, all right, let's bring it home. Your uh, former boss uh, is no longer with the Calgary Flames this week. It caught some of us off guard. Uh, just your thoughts on, you know, Daryl the second go round and and it coming to an end. Um, I was disappointed. I think that, uh, to be honest with you, I, you know, you look back, you know, every season has its own life. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the 21, 22 season was, uh, such a tremendous season for the Calgary flames. And, um, I, you know, you look at, uh, what they accomplished, uh, with the style of play they, they had and, uh, and everything meshed. I mean, the goaltending was great. They had an unbelievable top line. Yep. And, uh, and I think, um, you know, through change, there was change created within the, in the locker room. And uh, one thing we know about Daryl, he's not going to change yep. in terms of uh, what he feels is, is, is uh, how the team has to play. And it's a, mm-hmm. a tried and true formula for success. And that's not to say that he's not open and, and willing to talk to, to players and willing to talk to uh, young players, that sort of thing. And that kind of got, I think that's got a little bit misconstrued in the, uh, in the media world. He's a very, uh, he's very encouraging of young players. And I remember when we, um, when we were uh, worked together when I worked for him, yep. we were always trying to bring young players in, you know, we had, Chuck Kobasu and uh, Matthew Lombardi and uh, um, those types of players that came in when we were a pretty good team back in the uh, mid 2000s. And uh, so for me, it was a little disappointing. I think that, um, you know, without knowing, nobody really knows what happens within the locker room. So Mm -hmm. we can't really make a, you know, even the media. Um, So we can only take different pieces of information from different people. And obviously, you know, perhaps ownership felt that, um, that uh, there needed to be a change. I don't know, but it was disappointing. And and really when it comes right down to it, I think Daryl would probably say, Hey, I'm paid to get the team into the playoffs and I'm paid to win. And ultimately didn't, they didn't reach those uh, um, uh, goals. And, you know, that's what he preached to the, uh, to the media right from the get-go in September and uh, early October. And he talked about being a playoff team. And I I remember somebody asked him in a press conference about losing to non-playoff teams. And he goes, well, we're a non-playoff team right now. So, you know, we're in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're right about – it's easy stuff gets blown up and, and, you know, Don Maloney came out on Monday and, and, you know, taught again, talk to players, talk to staff, talk to agents, all those sort of things. And that gives a little insight, but the, the one thing that I would like to, because you and I can have this conversation because I was critical of Daryl this year because I, I didn't think he, he was prepared to develop young players at the NHL level in real time. And that mm-hmm. nowadays, I think you have to do that. The example yeah. I've given ad nauseum is, is Matt Phillips. And, yeah. you know, how much success he had in the American Hockey League, he clearly pro- proved he could play down there, but wasn't really given an opportunity up here. Lo and behold, you have this season where 
you know, you have 20, 33 one-goal losses and 24 yeah. overtime games and things like that. That was the only thing I was critical of. But, Rob, I just thought that was inevitable. I didn't think that was a Daryl Sutter thing as much as it's just the way the game has evolved. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, they had so many, uh, uh, you know, when when um, when you have so many games that are close like they were, that they yeah. had, and, uh, you know, you're you're on the edge every game to win. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes you uh, you can err on on the side of uh, sticking with you know the tried and true uh, veterans that he had, yep. and uh, you know maybe maybe in retrospect he could have uh, you know played Phillips more or or uh, Pelche or any of those young guys. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, he, he makes those choices, and that's what he gets paid to do. Mm-hmm. You know we know it's not a developmental league, the national hockey league. It's a winning league. And yep. and that's what it's about. And if you're trying to develop, develop players to play at the national hockey league level in the national hockey league, it's very difficult. And, uh, you know, you look at Ottawa, they've been trying to develop th- those players and it's taken a while. Now they're starting to get a little bit of traction, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that this market wants to lose on a regular basis. Uh, they want to be in the playoffs and they want to be close to the playoffs every year. So um, that's probably the mindset that, that, uh, that is the focus, even yep. for the new coach yep. that comes in. Yep. I mean, you got to win. <laughs> that's what you're paid for. It, it is. It's well, it's, that's hockey, that's sports, right? Like, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's at this level in the American league, uh, right. Or if you're if you're in a position where you're um, the Boston Bruins during the regular season, you can you can probably inject those young players into the lineup and uh, and uh, and have some success. And you know, but you know, like this roster didn't allow that to happen in, in the season for whatever reason. Didn't allow that to happen as much as it probably would have happened in the past. I mean, I would say. You know, knowing Daryl as a uh, when he was a manager, uh, he was adamant about young players being in the, you know, bringing in young players and developing young players. And he's mm-hmm. he's very adamant about that as even as a coach about developing players. And uh, so that's that's probably perhaps it was a combination of um, the season, the way it was going, and uh, and where um, he had to. Uh, focus on in terms of getting to the playoffs. Ultimately, this is an organization that I think we both can say needs to find some stability because, you know, this is now going to be the sixth coach in 10 years, right? Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's, and, and you know what that's like, you just talked about it in Switzerland, you know, you got two more years and hopefully more after that. It's difficult especially in Canada. I, and I use John Cooper as the stocking horse, right? He's had success, but Cooper's been down in Tampa Bay for 10 years. Right. And you just looked at all it's, the, yeah. It's a different, uh, it's a different game down there in the sense of the uh, attention that's focused on uh, the uh, organization and on the coach. Right. And uh, right? yeah, yeah, not even close. And so that's where you, you know, you give credit to those uh, coaches who are in the uh, mainstream of the media all the time. And, uh, um, you know, you look at Toronto with, with, uh, Sheldon and then you look in, uh, Marty St. Louis and Montreal that, you know, they've given him a bit of a, of a, 
green light for a while, but uh, yep. eventually the history of that organization demands that you win. Yep. So, and Ottawa has had a, uh, you know, has a, a very astute, uh, um, you know, media crew that examine the team. And that's really what it's about in, in this city is, or in this country is the, is the, is the people are very uh, educated in terms of making assessment on the team on a regular basis. And um, right. um, that's where it is, is the big difference. Uh, and also the attention of the, of the fans outside of uh, football and baseball and, and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, you know, Tampa Bay would be a little less media driven, although they're probably a lot more now in, in the sense that they've had that great success over the sure. last number of years. Sure. Um, just a, a thought. I mean, Peter Marr was on before we were taking a look at this playoffs, 33 road wins already. Uh, there was all 35 all of last year. The road teams seemed to be dominating. The wild card teams seemed to be having success. You had this historical run by Boston that, you know, sees them out in the first round. Any overall observations just kind of coming back with fresh eyes and, and looking what we're seeing this spring? You know what? I, I, um, I, I watch the um, just I, I usually right now just because it's hard to uh, spend a lot of time watching all the games. But I, yeah. I usually watch the uh, the five minute highlight package that the National Hockey League puts out. And uh, I'm and I watch the uh, game seven that um, um, New York and uh, New Jersey played. And I, I was it always comes down to and I hate to say this it always comes down to how well you defend mm -hmm. to win the those crucial games mm -hmm. and uh you know you look at the one line that they had uh, the rangers uh tarasenko was minus three and uh zabinajad was minus three and Kreider was minus four and they they couldn't defend in that game and uh you look at the amount of comebacks uh where teams have had huge leads and they've lost them and and it's 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 the mindset of how you defend when you have a lead and and how you shut down other teams and it doesn't happen as much anymore. I've never seen games where where there's been such uh, huge swings in uh, yeah. in scores and and periods and that sort of thing. Um, and and I don't know if it's it falls on deaf ears or it's just we're going to just see if we can outscore the other team and uh, and the other team can't adjust. And the goaltending is is not been in those games has been as good as it could be, but those are things that complicate the issues as well. Yeah, but I feel for goaltenders because I, you know, it, it's such a picked apart business now. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? But if you're like, like what's uh, realist? I mean, what's realistic yeah. and what isn't realistic, right? But if you're like Skinner and you have the puck in in front of the net. And yes. uh, you turn it over like that. I mean, yeah. those they're just, you know, Edmonton was very lucky just to get out of that game. Yep. And, um, you know, those are things that that's just an inexperience too. Sure. And so we've got, you know, you look around the league and you've got inexperienced goaltenders right now that are trying to develop in the National Hockey League. Yeah. You know, the kid in uh, New Jersey, give him a lot of credit. Sweet, the, yeah. um, he's uh, been phenomenal and hopefully he can keep it up. Last one for you. What what's it like watching twenty seven, twenty eight year old Austin Matthews now, knowing that you know ten years ago you had him as a kid? I am glad he won it in the first round because uh, you know 
we lost in the first round with him when it was his only year in Zurich. So and we lost four straight. So he'd been on a bit of a dry spell since, uh, since that uh, playoff round. And uh, I think, uh, you know, Austin is learning how to play uh, a lot better in tight checking games mm-hmm. and games where he uh, doesn't have the freedom. He's a tremendous player and really a good person. His family is uh, his mom and dad. We got to know really well when we were in uh, in Zurich, and they are really very, very focused on his career, which they, sure. should, you know, which most parents are when you have a an athlete like that as a as a as a son. And uh, he was um, he was such a uh, a strong uh, player during the regular season, but now I think he's just getting better and better and. To you know, able to play in the playoffs. So good stuff, Rob. Uh, appreciate this. I'm so happy you're in hockey. I'm so happy you and Mark are having uh, you know I'll, success. But I know what you want. I mean, you want to win a, t- a league title over there. So I hope yeah. That comes. Well, you know what the thing is. You know what we're finding over there is we've got an older team, mm-hmm. and um, we have to get a younger team. So we're in the same boat as a lot of these players, a lot of these teams are in um, in North America. So we're going to probably end up playing a 16-year-old next year who will be a very highly sought-after player in the uh, NHL draft in a couple of years, and or in a year for that matter. And uh, we're going to we're going to have to play these players. Yeah. And so that's what it's about in in Europe. We have to stay young, and uh, it's always fun. We enjoy that. We enjoy the aspect of making it better, and I think that's probably why we have a similar uh, views on, on things is we need to leave it in a better place and that's what we'll do. Perfect. We'll get you back on here soon, but thanks for taking some time for us today. All right. Thanks Robbie. Take care. There you go. Bye. Rob, Rob cooks and everybody, former flame coach and now with Mark Crawford with the Zurich lions and the uh, Swiss a league of course, brought to you by ski sellers. Snow. They ski in Switzerland. I don't know if you know that ski sellers, <laughs> ski sellers, snowboard. So if you're going over there, Maybe you want to check out SkiSellerSnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary. Three great locations. Bow Ridge Road Northwest by the McDonald's, just over down the hill from Windsport. 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street. And McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. Some great deals on warm wear right now. I know it's warm outside, but eventually it will get a little cooler. Um, Let's do this. Let's get to our final mile today. Um... We kind of made light of this on Monday. We said, uh, you know, Snoop Dogg is going to be part of the ownership group in in Ottawa, but Daryl Sutter being let go is a bigger story. And then Snoop went on Stephen A. Smith yesterday, and tell you what, um, he wants to buy the Senators, wants to be part of this, but I love this. I love this. He wants to start a Snoop Youth Hockey League outside of Canada. The kids need to know there is an option to play hockey if you look like me. The rapper founded the Snoop Youth Football League, which he said has, has sent more than 20,000 kids to Division I schools back in 2005. I made, I, I mean, I jumped on this right away. I have, I'm very critical of the National Hockey League and its glacier approach to diversity. Um, DEI is, you know, that's, they want to do the victory laps and they take their times and, and God bless organizations like the Flames Foundation, which are moving things forward. But this is a gift. This is an absolute gift given to you on a platter. 
take this man. He should not have got out of that office yesterday without being whisked directly to Gary Bettman's office and said, how do we do this? When do we do this? Let's get going. A Snoop Youth Hockey League, he says only in the States. Guess what? We could use it up here too because we need ways to keep kids involved. We need ways to find kids who do not look like everybody that they see on TV to find a space and a spot for hockey. If hockey is truly for everyone, you ought to jump all over this. Yes, the man wants to buy a team. Absolutely. But look what he's done with his youth football league. I, I, again, if it's a crime if the National Hockey League does not jump at this opportunity to have Snoop Dogg represent them in the sport. And he's genuine. He's been around the game. He's called games in Los Angeles. He's a character. Yes, he's a, a pro. But we always talk about that. We're always talking about uh, getting more eyeballs, non-traditional eyeballs on the sport. D- dudes, dude's everything. He's entertainment. He's in movies. He's on TV. He, you know, he's rapper. He's all of these things. But he's a cultural icon. And when a cultural icon goes, let, let's be perfectly honest, this ESPN NHL deal, it's good to a point. But Stephen A. Smith isn't blowing his brains out about hockey every day. He's got the NBA. He's got NFL. And then when you go on that show and you say that, Jump. Jump. You cannot sign him up quick enough. I, I, again, the NHL loves to dither. Uh, you know, the last couple years with some of these cultural issues post-George Floyd, the NHL was great at telling you they're putting committees together and then they, they put blue ribbon con- committees together with great names and what do we see come out of it? Well, everybody gets a nice little, uh, you know, a folder with their name on it, and they have a meeting or two, do something. It's right there. Snoop Youth Hockey. Make it happen. All right. Thanks to Peter Mart. Thanks to Rob Cookson. Thanks to you. Thanks to Jack. Did an outstanding job putting this whole show together by himself. Uh, and I'm excited about it because it went off without a hitch. I'm looking forward to Friday. I won't be here. I'll be um, someplace special, so you want to tune in for that. Also, Eric DeHatchik will join us. Obviously, lots to talk about with uh, Duha. A lot about the Flames and a lot about the NHL playoffs. Barnburner's back with you tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Till Friday, we'll see you then. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.